welcome to Life Lessons in 35mm, a podcast that delves into the life lessons from the silver screen. School might have taught us about history, sciences and maths, but John McLean taught us about how to be cool. Neo taught us the value of free will and the responsibility in making our own choices. Back to the Future taught us our future hasn't been written yet. Our future is whatever we make it. And Pretty Woman taught us that you should never judge a book by its cover. We'll talk about all sorts. Love, family, heroes. Storytelling, friendship, dogs. <laughs> Wait, dogs? Yeah, yeah. There's an episode about dogs. I figured that people sometimes might want something a little more light-hearted. And besides, who doesn't love dogs, right? No, that's fair. So, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for joining us. So welcome to episode 10 of the Life Lessons in 35mm podcast. Um, here with the hosts, I guess, Nicholas Long and um, me, Andrew Hewitson. Nick, how are you doing? I am very good, thanks, Andrew. How are you? A little bit tired. We, we have discussed this off air, had a couple of non-sleep sleeps, and um, this is going to be a very interesting podcast. I need you to be my crutch. <laughs> I need you to be my crutch today. So uh, help me out. That's fine. As we've discussed, though, you are always tired. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have I have full faith you'll be fine. Yeah, you and you're always my crutch. Uh, pretty much sure I am. every episode. <laughs> um <laughs> I think um something that a lot of people won't realise, because obviously we delete all these these parts. Um I mess up a lot during <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> and you Nick don't. is always there. He's he's always there to save me. <laughs> We've had a couple of meltdowns where we've gone into fits of laughter. One of which, obviously, we I I put together recently, which we've got as a little little audio treat for ourselves, which we may share at some point. But you don't mess up. You don't mess up. I feel like that's teasing. Shall we share it in this episode? Maybe we should. Let's share it in this episode. Yeah, because we can't just mention it and just move on. So let's let's um share it. So here it is. It's fantastic, isn't it? Um, it's got a great score to it. Um, it's done by well, it's done by one of the members of. Radiohead? Yeah, it's done by one of the members of Radiohead. I think his name's Pete... S- it's Johnny Greenwood. Jo- <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> it's Johnny Greenwood. I'm just going to say it straight away. I'm just going to check that he is from Radiohead. I'm it is Radiohead. Sure um, yeah, Tom Green's from Radiohead, isn't he? Tom York. Oh, fuck <laughs> Just, just swinging and missing. Just swinging and missing. (laughs) Oh, Oh my lord! Okay, let's just bring this back. Take a breath. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be laughing now. Calm down. (laughs) It's just just absolutely perfect, isn't it? I don't, I don't, it's like three massive, like so, so confident as well each time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. See, see, I would say rather than messing up there, I'd say you created audio gold. 
<laughs> I was just saying to, to Nick, um, I recently went on a date with a girl and um, a similar thing happened. Um, and it was literally like, it was almost mirrored because like, it's three instances where I just went, came out and made some really big facts. Um, and, and yeah, it was just, um, <laughs> just embarrassing. Um, just straight but, up, just straight up wrong. Straight yeah, yeah. up wrong. Haven't heard from her since. So. <laughs> Her loss, her loss, you. Yeah. Also, before we before we get started, I just should say congratulations to you for moving in to a, a new house that you've recently purchased. Obviously, the listeners can't see you. I can see you in a different setting as before, and it's just uh, it's it's you know it's a great life step. I know I know you've owned a home before, but um, yeah, just congratulations on your new on your new home, and uh, hopefully you've uh, you've settled in and it's all going swimmingly. Yeah, it's it's great because um, you know for the past. Probably the past like two years, I've been like living in in very small bedroom situations, um, single beds, like cubby holes. Like I felt like a little bit like Harry Potter in a few places. And as as a thirty six year old man, single man who's trying to bring um, girls back to this place, it's quite embarrassing. Um, so, <laughs> so I never do. And um, and now I'm in this um, lovely house in Queenstown. And um, recording from a cupboard, um, which I live in the dream. Yeah. Um, so, so it'd be interesting to to hear if there's any difference in sound quality. But yeah, like really pleased to be here, and um, um, this is going to be a great episode. It's going to be a great episode because, like, mainly it's about um, Terminator Two. But really, I want to um, open open it up and and get to know Nicholas Long a little bit more. Oh well, that's. I mean, you know me pretty well um yeah i'm not yeah. not sure not sure anyone else wants to know me that well but hey we'll see what happens right yeah i mean if if um people can um leave comments um <laughs> about this episode and, and let us know did you want to know anything about nick because it, it might be that they they didn't yeah but be 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 nice i'm quite sensitive don't just go for it no be honest be honest <laughs> go for the jugular <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we're going to be doing the episode about uh, terminator 2 today and and really, it's um, that the lesson is well, how it. Ta- I mean, how how do you describe it, Nick? Well, the way the way that I the way I always I always think about this film is Terminator Two is the film that made me fall in love with films. So it's the film that sort of like taught me what movies are, basically. That's that's huge, isn't it? And I I think like everyone has that moment that the one film that kind of opens you up and you're like wow this is a medium that i need to explore more into is there other films like this um other other worlds that i can kind of adventure in uh and how old were you when you watched this film for the first time i'll set the scene for you right i'll set the scene okay so it so this was released in 1991 incidentally it's the 30 year anniversary of its release this year. So, uh, you know, quite appropriate we're discussing it. Um, so it's released in 1991. However, I saw it, I believe, probably in 1992 because I was uh, nine years old and I'd been invited to a birthday party um, of one uh, of a lad that we went to school with. So, you know, Adam, my, uh, my, my friend of 30 plus years and, uh, we we went to the, we went along to this birthday party and, and the, the lad was a year older than us so I think it was I think it was must have been his tenth birthday party or something and his mum had rented Terminator Two because it had just come out on video. Incidentally, just just to, to interrupt you here, what rating was Terminator Two? Oh, so fifteen. 
It's a 15. It's a 15 rating. Yeah. And you were? I was nine, maybe maybe nearly 10. Okay, I was just, just to confirm. Yeah. But yeah, the, so the, the lads whose birthday party it was, was maybe 10 or 11 years old. And I was, I think I was nine, maybe just 10. I think, because uh, I'm one of the youngest in my school year. So, um, but you know, before, before anyone gets too concerned, both Adam and I have very responsible parents who have trusted us to watch films for a long time and we we always used to uh, one of the things we used to do when we were kids we used to like kind of our parents used to like rent us films that we'd watch together on like you know evenings and the weekends and stuff so um but yeah so probably a bit too young to be watching it but it literally changed my life <laughs> you know i so we we, we sat down in this bir- in this birthday party a bunch of maybe must be like 12 12 kids or something like that and we watched this film and i was absolutely blown away i was like wow what is this and I'd kind of had an awareness of like films and movies before because my mum's quite a film fan. So I'd kind of grown up watching films. And, you know, when I was younger, she introduced me to the Rocky franchise. Um, so we used to watch like a, the, one of our things at Christmas. How cool is your mum? She's a ledge. We, you know, weirdly, my mum loves a bit of boxing, actually. Really? Yeah, like, she loves boxing. Like, yeah, she like she like like watches the sports sometimes professionally as well. Like, not you know on TV, doesn't go to events and stuff. But she's always loved the Rocky films. And I remember we had like a bit of a tradition. We'd watch we'd watch a Rocky film at Christmas. So so she so kind of she bought me the Rocky films on video when I was a kid. So I kind of had an awareness of like movies, but I'd never seen anything like Terminator Two before, and I was absolutely like blown away by it. And I remember just going home and saying to my mum, "Wow, we watched this video." And I, you know, would you buy it for me? So she said, what is it? And I said, Terminator 2. And literally like the next kind of within the next week, I think we went into town and she bought me Terminator 2 on VHS. And that was the first movie of my collection that I then started kind of adding to every time, every, all the pocket money I could save, any chores that I did. And I got, you know, got a little couple of quid for everything was saved to go towards buying films and videos all i wanted for birthdays and christmases was was films and videos and stuff yeah and terminator 2 was where it started i just absolutely fell in love with this like incredible with this like these incredible movies and this was the one that started it all and what's great about this kind of time and and i'm sure that you'd be the same is um you, you didn't just watch a film once you would you would get a video and you would play that to death, wouldn't you? At at, at that age. Oh yeah. Whereas I, I feel now we're very much like a consumerist um, culture, even with our media, where we just kind of watch watch it, even if it's a great film, we'll watch it once, and then we'll kind of put it on the shelf. We'll we'll move on from it. But yeah, I remember around the same time, maybe I had like three or four videos, and and that was it pretty much. Um, but I would watch those those films to death again and again and again. Oh, no question. I think I'm fairly sure I I had to buy Terminator Two on video again because I wore it out. I'm sure because <laughs> it was a sort of thing where, you know, I would watch it religiously. Um, and as as I started to collect more and more videos, I would watch that. You know, I'd watch it less frequently because I'd watch other things in between and stuff. But it was just, you know, and it just I I just exposed me to this world of of movies that i was never fully aware of before so of course then i started to to realize the sort of action movies were my thing i've always i still love them now but that was a sort of through the 90s that's what i really kind of hooked me it was action films so then i'd kind of you know went and watched ones from previous years so your classics like die hard lethal weapon all those kind of things but i've always always loved action movies and and terminator 2 is the reason for that and i just think it and still to this day i do think it's 
it has an argument that it's the greatest blockbuster of all time. I just think it's the perfect blockbuster movie. I think that when it came out, it was the most expensive film ever made at the time. It was also the film that had most outperformed its the the first film of the franchise because it's obviously a sequel. Um, so yeah, just a, just a incredible. I mean, imagine what it must have been like seeing that at the cinema when it first came out. Yeah, yeah, definitely unbelievable. Would it would have just been absolutely groundbreaking. So yeah, just just a, just a wonderful memory, and it's something that I have, get so much joy from watching every time I watch it. So maybe we should um, just introduce the film a little bit because I'm sure there's a lot of people who actually haven't seen this film. Um, it is 30 years old, um, and when I when I think about that, you know, I'm 36, so <laughs> I would have been six when it came out. I I certainly didn't see it anywhere near when it came out, and and to be honest, I was I was rewatching it, and I'm not sure I've seen it in its entirety. Really, I I feel like it. Yeah, I feel like it's once again one of these films that I might have, you know, picked up watching it like halfway or something you know when it's on like um the tv maybe seen just certain scenes or or maybe i saw the beginning of it and just in my head put together what i thought the film was i've I've certainly seen i remember watching like the end bit because i remember um there's that that really sad scene with the guy and the explosives yeah remember uh yeah that's it's funny, like the certain scenes that are like carved out into your brain. Like, um, I always remember that scene. Well, I think this is for me. See, for me, this is yeah. There's, there's so many, and also in this film, there are so many iconic scenes as well. But this film is probably one that because I've seen it so many times, and because it had such an impact on me, pretty much the whole film is carved out in my head. You know, I, I, I think you know they released. Um, like a, a either director's cut or special edition with an extra 15 minutes or something in there. But, you know, so I, I know those bits quite well too, but the original like theatrical cut, like, you know, that is forged into my brain forever. So yeah, but there's so many iconic scenes. Yeah. And I love, I love that, that scene with Miles Dyson when he sort of like, as he, he breathes his last breath and uh, blows up the building. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. So Terminator 2, um, Judgment Day also promoted as, as T2 is a 1991 American science fiction action film produced and directed by James Cameron, who co-wrote the script with William Wisher. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I'm sure everyone knows, Linda Hamilton, Robert Patrick, Edward Furlong, and Joe Morton. It is a sequel to the 1984 film The Terminator, in the second installment of the Terminator franchise. It follows Sarah Connor and her 10-year-old son, John, as they pursued by a new, more advanced Terminator, sent back in time to kill John and prevent him from becoming the leader of the human resistance. A second, less advanced Terminator, Schwarzenegger, is also sent by the resistance to protect him. So that just a, a wee synopsis of the film there. Uh, if anyone's not familiar with it, go and watch it, because we're going to be uh, throwing out some spoilers, probably. Oh yeah, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. So, um, in terms of the film, you you said that you were blown away, and and this was like the real start of something for you in terms of loving films. But what exactly can you kind of pinpoint what you really loved about it? And and this is going to be interesting because like you're obviously a thirty um, eight year old man now, but you were watching this as an eight year old child <laughs> and um I, i'd imagine you wouldn't have the same level of analysis at eight years old you just watch something and you think wow that's amazing but 
can you can you think um looking back now what things you pulled out of the film that really kind of inspired you and, and made you want to watch watch more films well i think i think what i said before it really it's the fact that this is the perfect blockbuster movie like you said it's a sci-fi action film it's kind of got things in it that aren't you know that are not real because and and are kind of like set because it's part of it's you know set in the future there's character sent from the future so it's kind of got this story that was completely new to me because at that age I wasn't really I wasn't really aware of things like science fiction to a great degree so that side of it was really it was really exciting but I think largely just because of how it looks and how it sounds on screen you know this is a this is a film which had as I said the the most expensive film ever made at the time and it looks it as well you look at the special effects this this was like groundbreaking visual effects stuff and they still look incredible to this day from for one thing surely you'd have to agree with that right yeah i believe this this film was kind of a pi- early pioneer of um, visual effects including the first use of a natural human motion for a computer generated character and that would be the t t1000 right because they they had to create a character um, and um i believe james cameron was very like keen on this he was like um we we have to make this this happen and it, it caused a lot of head scratching and like how do we do this but th- they wanted a character that that basically could morph and um change shape and watching this back a lot of the the, the scenes remind me of the matrix because you you've got this um the T T one thousand character who's almost acting very much like Agent Smith, um, morphing into different characters, different um, because he he morphs into like Sarah Connor at some point. He shapeshifts through through walls. He manipulates its body into um, to like a, a liquid metal kind of sword that comes out of his arm. And I imagine um, watching this in in what would have been um nineteen ninety two, this must have seem like science fiction it must have seemed seemed so impossible well that's it isn't it you know you you i was literally seeing things i'd never seen before on a tv screen and you just think wow like how do they do this and i was reading you know it took something like eight weeks for like a five second visual effects shot you know it took eight weeks of of work with the special effects team to create like five seconds of footage and yeah you, you know i think they they did things like they drew grids on on robert patrick's um, body to to map how he walked and how he moved so they could put that into the computer imaging and yeah I mean but if you think about the fact that this is 30 years ago and the visual effects literally look better than some films made today when you can almost do anything on a computer and I just think it's there's so much care and attention have gone into the visual effects and obviously like you know James Cameron is is famous for pioneering stuff within filmmaking you know there's so much written about the creativity that he had to that was brought he brought into the terminator because that as a you know the first one which he also directed had such a small budget in comparison to this so they they did so many creative things to in order to in order to stick to budget and make things believable and obviously this time he had a much bigger budget but he still wanted to really push the boundaries of what could be possible and obviously he's famous for then going on and almost creating brand new technology when he made avatar so he's a real like pioneer of these like technological advances in filmmaking and i just think this one this is a film which just demonstrates that because like i said it's made 30 years ago and it it literally looks better than some films that made now do and i think it just holds up as well and you know from watching i've watched it loads of times over the years but watching it recently 
on my, you know, my little home movie set, my home cinema setup. It looks still looks incredible. And I know, you know, the transfers onto like Blu-ray and 4K and stuff will obviously make it look really good. But even, you know, you watch it on a normal TV screen that's not in high definition, it still looks amazing. And the special effects have such an important role to play, whether it be the practical effects and the, and the makeup, the you know, the pyrotechnics, because there's loads of explosions and stuff, as you got in 90s films. But it just looks incredible. And I, I was just at that age, like nine, ten years old, I'm sitting there watching this on the TV thinking, wow, what is this? And it's just, you know, it was genuinely completely mind blowing because I'd never seen anything like it before. Yeah, certainly, I certainly agree with you on that. The visual effects are, are great something that's probably not spoken enough um, when we talk about films is lighting and um, the lighting in this film is incredible and and it's obviously you got lighting and cinematography and they kind of work together right because like cinematography is literally just painting with light but something that's really not looked looked upon as being important and, and certainly by a, a mainstream kind of viewer of, of film is is lighting and how important that that is you know i i do photography myself and it's something that i realized as i in my kind of photographic journey that you can make something look a million dollars just by being patient by really setting up your scene correctly in terms of breaking different elements down using lighting and and we we did this when we um studied film right like we so me and Nick, we studied film um, at university and one of the projects that we did was a lighting project. We needed to light light a scene and we did we create... We had to basically, we, we when we did our first year, we had modules, didn't we, broken into sound, um, motion and, and lighting. So we had to create essentially like a short film that was based around light and that was the focal point of the of the film and it was it was so interesting wasn't it It so much well first of all it's so much fun but also that is basically where we learned how to set up a scene and how to shoot a scene and uh yeah but and and then when you when you do it you realize what an impact it has on how things look it might sound very basic and very simple to people who are into films but i'd imagine that you know just to your layman like film like moviegoer it's the sort of stuff which can easily be overlooked and it's exactly why probably my favorite artist within cinema is probably Roger Deakins because of the work he does. It just takes things to another level. But yeah, you're right. The, you know, this it's, it's beautifully shot, this film. It looks fantastic. Yeah. And I, I think, because um, obviously we did that project at, at university and I think we got quite a good grade, but I, I we had no real conception of light. We were kind of putting things together and maybe it worked. Maybe we were lucky, <laughs> but you know, real real lighting. Um, it's not so much um, a practical application of you know, like putting a spotlight on your main character and like, oh, you can see that person. You know, that would be a practical application. Whereas it's it's more um, creating emotion, and and we know this we know this instinctively when we go for for example for dinner, and say you're going for dinner and you you go to a romantic restaurant the the lighting in the restaurant if it's done correctly it's not fluorescent lighting it's maybe shadows it's it's um as much darkness as it is light it's um and you get that feeling of romanticism you know and this is translated in in films you've got many different types of lighting to create different moods 
And you you watched this through, and I was watching the first kind of um, twenty minutes this morning. It is incredible. You could just um, stop at any scene and break it down for its lighting, and it's just it's perfect. And what what I was saying to you about photography, I could use the same camera, but if I was really careful with how I used lights, it would look so much more expensive. So you you're just adding kind of production value to it. And this film is, is a classic example of that. Um, yes, it was a very expensive film, but the lighting that they used means that it's translated really well into modern day. Whereas some films of that time, depending on um, who the cinematographer is or who the lighting specialist was, they won't have effect, um, created the same effect or, or styling. So um, yeah, rewatch it, have a look at the, the lighting. It's incredible. It is. And I, and I think, you know, just a, a great example of that is uh, towards the end, the, the freeway chase with the helicopter and the, the liquid nitrogen tanker on that on that freeway, which I think they lit obviously specifically for the film. And it just looks amazing. And even though it's sort of nighttime, everything. So, and that, that's one thing actually I do love about this film. And I would say is one of the things which puts it above and beyond many action films, many sci-fi films, many blockbusters is largely to do with the lighting but and also largely to do with the way it's directed and put together the action is so clear and it's so understandable there's there's i think we talked about this before with how to train your dragon there's such a very there's such a clear cause and effect thread that goes through all the action sequences where everything that happens you can see where it starts like where it's moving through where it finishes and you know exactly why everything has happened it's so brilliantly put together and is an absolute masterclass in action direction because everything everything that happens you're able to follow it so easily and again you know it's everything's brilliantly lit it's brilliantly shot and there's there's a huge amount of things like projection screens and miniature work and stuff as well which makes it even more impressive that they've used all these different techniques and it all comes together seamlessly you know there's i read that there's you know the scene where um where the t1000 gets shot when he's in liquid nitrogen shatters into all those pieces and then because they're in a molten there's they're in that factory with all of this molten metal and it, it melts and he's kind of reforming. They were literally like using hair dryers to blow like mercury around. That's how they got that effect. And it just, all those little tricks and things they do, everything just looks completely seamless. And it just comes together as this, this mind-blowing experience of like, of action movie magic. And it's, it's brilliant. I love it. Yeah, I, I second that again. Um, we did talk about it with How to Drain Your, Your Dragon. I think we mentioned about Michael Bay and the Terminator, um, not Terminator films, the, the Transformer films, which I think I'd, I'd have to look at them like individually, but in general, I really didn't like because of that cause that cause and effect within action. It's really difficult to to do action because there's a lot going on. You've got to tell a story coherently, and yeah, with the Transformer films, because so much of the film is in um, special effects, it's it's done digitally. It's. I, I think there's too much going on, and and as well like painting with light. So if we think about lighting, it's painting with light, right? When you're doing it digit digitally, it's more difficult to do that. You can't get that separation with characters and the background as you can when you're you're shooting, um, you know, on film. And the the action sequences in um, the Terminator. You know exactly what's going on. You know what the cause and effect of each action is, and um, you're on on the the edge of your seat throughout. 
it's um yeah shout out to that um the direction as well james cameron man i like obviously i think because of titanic he doesn't get the the props that he maybe deserves um maybe because of his films almost like too successful in a way you know he's had titanic which was at the time the most successful film of all time and then avatar again the most the most successful film of all time when it came out yeah exactly i mean the man the man the man get the man delivers doesn't he he really does and, and i i wonder why he doesn't get the the props that he maybe deserves because like if you look at his filmography it's pretty impressive right yeah well it it's let's take three you know take um to take take three of his films for example. Now I know he's done almost a lot more than that, but obviously we're talking about Terminator Two, the sequel that has most outperformed its its original film, which he also made and was a huge success. And also, you know, the Terminator was the really the film that made Arnold Schwarzenegger a a, a star. You know, and also if you think about another film that he did, which was a sequel, Aliens. And there are there are many people. Personally, I don't agree with it, but I wouldn't say it's a bad opinion. But a lot of people consider Aliens to be better than Alien. And he directed that, as, and that was a, that's a, again a brilliant sci-fi action film. So he's he's got some serious chops when it comes to like blockbuster, you know, big budget action movies. I mean, he he's he's got some serious work on his CV, and he, yeah, I, th- I think he 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 should. I'm I'm fairly sure within within the within the industry, he is he is held up as as one of the greats. And I, you know, I think if anyone looked looked at what he'd done, that you can't disagree. He, I mean, he's an absolute master at that stuff. It's interesting because he doesn't actually have that many films, but he tends to go big or go goes home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seemingly there's a lot of staying at home because um, we've been waiting for these Avatar films for quite a while. the um, The next one is going to come out in um, 2022, so we're nearly there. Look we're forward nearly there. to that. Yeah, yeah the, like Avatar came out in 2009. I know. <laughs> I went to see that like three times. Did you? Yeah, <laughs> I was a bit obsessed. I, I went. I went to see it once at the cinema, and I liked it. I don't love it. I watched it again recently, just because I thought I haven't watched it for years and years. And um, yeah, it's okay. I like it enough. I mean, it looks looks incredible, but yeah, nowhere near his best work, obviously. But we're interested, interested to see interested to see what happens with the next ones, because again, I, I just wonder because, like we said before, for Avatar, he always developed a new technology in three D film. I wonder what the new ones are going to look like. I wonder what he's going to what he's done. In terms of like adding to the the the, the filmmaking process, yeah, I, I feel because there's talks about, about there being five Avatar films, right? And in his filmography, he's maybe got like ten films, ten twelve films. So he's increasing his his fil- film catalog by um, like thirty forty percent there. And it's all on one franchise, so he must be really into these films. He must have like a real vision as to where he wants to take these films. And you get a sense from him, he he knows what he's doing and he's a very intelligent man. So I'm really interested to see where they go with these films. Yeah. And do you know what, speaking of like franchises, I'd love to know what he thinks of the Terminator films that have been made since his original two. Well, that was one, gonna, be, gonna be one of my questions to you actually. What do you make of the, uh, the, the other films in the franchise? So I, I've, I quite liked terminator 3 rise of the machines saw that at the cinema uh quite enjoyed it you know haven't really watched it many times since because i didn't love it but you're we're talking about the follow-up to one of my favorite films of all time <laughs> so it, it, you know it had a lot to live up to terminator salvation um saw that at the cinema haven't seen it since 
don't think I'll ever watch it again. And I think it's fairly, it's not, it wasn't well received. And I think it's, it's a fairly well known thing that most people consider a bit of a flop. Um, I haven't watched Terminator Genesis because I just have no desire to. I think it, I've only seen the trailer, looks, looks horrendous. I've heard it's horrendous. And stupidly, I went to the cinema to see Terminator Dark Fate and I hated it. Um, <laughs> I think the the previous the, the the four that have been made since the original two, I just don't see there's there's no point in them at all. I think it, they're just made for the sake of rolling out a franchise they know people have an affection for, and I just have no time. I just like I said, I think the third one I haven't watched it for a long, long time. I think I had it on DVD, so I probably haven't watched it for well over fifteen years. But I don't. I that one I would go back to because I remember quite enjoying it. But the Salvation, Genesis, and Dark Fate, I have no desire to ever watch again. I just think they're they're almost an insult <laughs> to the original two. But yeah, I think. But again, like I said, when you've got the Terminator and Terminator Two, as the, that sets the bar about as high as it can possibly be set for a franchise, it's only going to go downhill from there. What have you have you seen all of the the sequels? I think I may, maybe saw the third one. Um, to be honest, it's never been a um, franchise that I've been... I'm not interested in franchises. Like, um, I think often it's created economically. It's an economic decision to make the film versus an artistic one. I feel like this this second film was so, such a departure from the, the first Terminator in the sense of it had so much soul to it that behind um, the action film, there's, there's actually quite an interesting story about um, family within it and um, redemption in terms of Ar- Ar- Arnold's uh, character in it. And you, you've almost got to, it's, it's a whole thing of like, um, just because you can, you've got to ask yourself, should we? Should we? And what? What's the why? What's the why of creating extra Terminator films other than dollars? Exactly, and I think you've you've, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there. The sequels were made for the money because you know, let's not forget Arnie himself, but he stepped away from films for a while because obviously he went into politics. And when he came back to do, I forget how long he was away for, but when he came back and started doing films again. I bet loads of studios went, oh, we could get another Terminator film out of this because everyone everyone knows if you stick Arnold Schwarzenegger in a Terminator film again, people are going to go and see it. doesn't mean they're any good. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you, again, if you think about the first couple, the first one, again, a sci-fi based action film, you could almost say it's a bit like a slasher film, though, couldn't you? Like a horror film. In the fact that you've got this unstoppable thing hunting one person and it's like, you know, chasing around the whole film. So you started with that one. The second one, you have the main character who is, the villain from the first one and a hugely successful villain, hugely terrifying villain comes back in the sequel as the good guy. I mean, has that ever been done before or since? I, I certainly can't think of any time, anything, any time that's been done. And also you've gone from like a sci-fi action horror film to a sci-fi action, like blockbuster film. And it's just the fact that he, the fact that James Cameron managed to make both films so good, so successful, yet so different in many ways. It's just as again, a testament to, what he puts into them that you know that you said they are heart and soul and you can feel that there's care and attention paid to both of those and i think the sequels maybe not terminator 3 rise of the machines i think that one again having not seen it for such a long time there probably was good reason to make that at the time because people still wanted those films but i don't think anyone was looking 
for more Terminator films, really. The the second one ends so perfectly, but they've just been made because they're guaranteed they're kind of guaranteed bums on seats, aren't they, really? Yeah, definitely. I mean you mentioned about the the budget. Um it was a uh, hundred and two million and the highest ever at the time and uh, the the movie earned two hundred and four million in the United States and Canada alone and 520 million worldwide so obviously it makes sense like you can't turn away those dollars right (laughs) same make these were taken at the West Highland police station 1984 you were there same model these were taken today You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. You don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now his mission... Get down! ...is to protect it. Come with me if you want to live. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy... He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. ...is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? If you thought you had seen it all... Stay down! Go! Now! We gotta stick together! Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good. Trust me. So one thing I wanted to ask you, Nick, is um, there's definitely a difference between me and you in terms of films where you're attracted to action. So when, whenever we talk about films, you're, you're always wanting me to watch Mission Impossible. <laughs> um, we, were, we were recently just talking about the new James Bond films. Um, action is definitely something that like pulls, pulls you in. What is it about action that, that kind of inspires you, do you think? I think it probably just comes back to my sort of route into loving movies when I was a kid, because, you know, I, I love all sorts of films. And I think some of my favorite films of the, of, you know, recent years that have not necessarily been action films, but I think it's, those were the sort of things which I was more exposed to when I was younger. So things like Terminator 2, I know the Rocky franchise is not going to call them action films, but you know, there's they're kind of close they're close enough to that um and i think partly because as well things like the rocky films terminator 2 i was really you know they had movie stars in them they were they had star power you know they these films were sold on the people in them not what the films were and i think a lot of around that time you know in the 80s 90s a lot of the star vehicles were action movies because two of the biggest movie stars in the world at the time were arnold schwarzenegger and sylvester stallone and i'd watch anything that those guys made 
know, whether it was, you know, the Rambo franchise, whether it was things like Demolition Man, Assassins, or, you know, Cobra, all that stuff. And then for Arnold Schwarzenegger, you had, you had the Terminator films, things like Commando, Predator, all that stuff. I think it's probably because those were the films which I, well, I suppose I was exposed to because I, those are the ones I would seek out because I, because I knew the people that were in them. You know, I, I knew who Arnold Schwarzenegger was. I knew who Sylvester Stallone was. I knew who Mel Gibson was. And, and those were like my favourite movie stars, Bruce Willis. So I'd kind of seek those things out. And at that time, those tended to be the films that those guys would make. And also, you know, when I first got into movies, I was 9, 10, 11 going into my teenage years. Those are the sort of films... I was a teenage boy. I mean, not to sound too stereotypical, but teenage boys like action movies, right? And I was, I, I was just... I, feel, I consider myself very lucky that at that age I was all, I was grew up in the golden age of action cinema and because you had these incredible movie stars with these incredible characters and you had these big budget blockbuster action movies and I I just have such a such an affection for them and I, again I think to like what I said about terminator 2 is you can see things on screen that you're never going to see in real life and it's a real like it's this that real escapism about it you know you can you can root for your favorite action hero to save the day and you can kind of you know, when you're a kid, you can kind of imagine yourself being that person and, you know, saving the day and, you know, do, doing all the stuff they do. So I think I just action movies were the things that really hooked me in when I was when I was a kid. And I still have a real affection for them now. And I really appreciate action movies done well. You know, things like this whole, like you know, you mentioned things like the Transformers franchise. There's loads of examples of things like that where there's loads of shaky cam and fast editing and stuff. And it's just you know, action for the sake of action. But when it's done right, it's so engrossing and so thrilling when you can follow a story through and you can see the action taking place, why it happens, where it happens, all that kind of stuff. And I just, it just really sort of pulled me in. And I, you know, part of it as well, just part of it is when I was a kid, I had some really close friends who I'm still really close with now who are also big movie fans. And we just loved talking about watching action movies. It's kind of what we, what we did. And, you know, it just... I so so many fond memories of of um, watching them on video or seeing them in the cinema. You know, just it's a great it's a great movie experience. I think action films. It was, certainly was the era of the the what if, and what I mean by that is they would create kind of films on the, on the pretense of like, oh, you know, what if Arnold Schwarzenegger was in space and, you know, he was fighting in a resistance, you know, for like Total Recall or what if, you know, we took such slice alone and put him in the jungle and he had to... And what what was great about that era is like there were so 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 many amazing hits that you, you were just like, what the... This is crazy. This is a crazy film. Like the idea of the this film is just nonsensical, but it just works. But for every hit, there was also a miss. So like for every um, Terminator, there was like a time cop, you know. For every um, you know Commando, maybe there was um, was it Samurai Cop that that really bad, you know. Um, <laughs> that, that sounds like that's a film that's being made, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, it was a real real nice era for for these films, um, the '90s, and I, I feel now, and and maybe this is or it isn't the case, but it feels now that the purse strings are, are a lot more contained, and Hollywood looks for things that have worked historically. 
So that's why we get so many sequels, um, so many um, superhero movies, because they work, because they put bums on seats. And it's a shame in a way because we don't get these um, really strange um, and eclectic mix of um, different genres within the genre. You're right. There, there is a lot of there's a lot of emphasis now on on uh, like longevity. You know, so if we make a film that's successful, how can we then make more money from that same film? How can we build it into a bigger unit? I mean, there's so much talk about you know universe or world building now, and I'm talking about kind of like mainstream cinema now i'm not talking about you know little independent art house films there's still loads of great ones around and stuff but in terms of like the big blockbuster cinema it's a lot of it is about world building so if we do one film what are the next five films going to be about what are the next 10 films going to be about and what i loved about so many of the great action films from the 90s now you have your franchises you have the lethal weapons the diehards terminators and they're brilliant the rambos they're, they're great but what i also love is each of those stars also did sort of one-off things that you you couldn't repeat and you don't need to repeat because it's a self-contained story where you have this movie star in this particular world in this particular scenario for just that one film and it's that's all you need and i think think there's loads of examples but let's take speed for example i know that had a sequel but that was just you know in 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 essence it's a movie about a bomb on a bus and it's so simple but it's such a such a an incredible thrill ride they don't need to, you don't need to worry about what the next seven speed films are going to be or how can we develop this into you know some bigger world it's just a very self-contained thrilling story that you go to the cinema and you get swept away for two hours and you get your breath taken away and then you you you, you walk out you, you don't need to worry about the next but that's the problem isn't it that that's the problem how how do you um create a speed lunchbox or um you know toys from speed you can't do and this is something that's going through the minds of the people with money within in hollywood and it's a real shame that that's the case but and this is the way that that business has evolved and and this is why we we probably won't see um so many speeds or um i I guess films based on, on concepts i think you actually get more of those nowadays in like asian cinema like korean cinema Whereas they're really kind of keen to try different ideas and concepts. So the next question I wanted to ask you was, is there a certain scene in this film that really kind of stands out to you and, and it kind of epitomizes the film or, you know, something that really when whenever you look back at this film, you're just like, wow, that was that was intense. I mean, there's so many like we said earlier, this this is absolutely chock full of iconic scenes. But I think there's probably a there's probably I have to pick out a couple I think and the first one is probably the motorbike chase scene which I think is really is incredibly thrilling because it's the first you know it's the first time that John Connor's character uh, comes across the Terminator comes across both Terminators the one that's there to kill him the one that's there to save him have this incredible chase um, where John Connor's on his little dirt bike and being chased by that big by that big truck down the kind of I don't know they're like you know like water drainage things or something but you know off the side of the freeway yeah water canals yeah water canals Arnie comes in on his big uh, on you know on the big motorbike comes in and saves him and you know there's this incredible chase scene and then again the end of that scene is when you when you see the you know great example of the visual effects of the first time 
the truck blows up. It's on fire. Arnie kind of turns around, holds the shotgun out as if to, as if to wait, as if, if something's coming out of there. Puts his gun away and drives off. And as he drives off, the T-1000 in his liquid metal form walks out of the flames. And you, and you just think, wow, like that. So that's the first scene. And that is a brilliant introduction to those characters. Because you've by this point, you've seen, you've established that one's there to kill him, one's there to save him. They've had a fight. You've established that they're both invincible basically arnie's been shot and taken bullets i think one thing to mention in 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 this this point is at that point we're unsure as to what arnie's role is because obviously in the first film he is the terminator he is the, the one who's sent to kill in this one it doesn't establish what his motivation is we just know there's two terminator characters that that arrived and from the future and they're both hunting in some way, shape, or form, um, John Connor. And it's only in this film that you, um, in this scene, that you realise, oh, actually, Terminator is the the good guy. And I think that was that this was at a time, Nick, where there wasn't a social media, so you find out this literally in the cinema. You you might you will have known Arnie from the first film. You would have known him to be the big the big bad. So James Cameron turning it on his head. And, and again, how many films, certainly at this time, had that happened? Probably not many. So you can imagine watching this in the cinema being like, holy shit, he's the good. He's the good. Yeah, and that's that's it. You know, so you, you've got this, you've got this, this is established. And then you have this scene where the, these two Terminators are fighting. And what's so brilliant about that as well is, Again, you know, look at look at Arnie. Look at his as a physical being. And I know he's obviously playing a Terminator, which is the perfect role for him, by the way. But he's this huge, muscular man. He's you know he's he's really tall. He's huge. Yet you know he's he's met his match in this kind of small, lean guy, Robert played by you know the team hasn't played by Robert Patrick. And you're like, holy shit, this isn't you know this isn't just like Arnie kills everyone and say you know and saves the day. This is like. This is a proper adversary. And I think that initial chase sequence with the two of them, after they've had the fight in the shopping mall, they've chased, you know, John's escaped from his dirt bike and they're both tracking him down. Arnie picks him up off the back of his dirt bike and kind of helps him escape. Just a brilliant scene. Um, and you're right, yeah, the, the fact that you've got this, um, it's now established that this big bad, who was terrifying in the first film, is now our hero. So that's the first one. Now, don't take this the wrong way, but you are a Terminator, right? Yes. Sabaton Systems Model 101. No. Holy shit. You're really real. I mean... Oh. You're like a machine underneath, right? But sort of alive outside? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton.
Rip John. Okay. Um. You're not here to kill me. I figured that part out for myself. So what's the deal? My mission is to protect you. Yeah? Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now, you reprogrammed me to be your protector here. And this time... This is deep. And the second one, you mentioned it earlier. The sequence at the Skynet um, offices or the Skynet labs. So that's quite a long sequence, but it's when all the police arrive, and you know you have Arnie walks to the to the window with his gat with his with the Gatling gun, the mini gun. Um, you know, does his little scan for like any human casualties, and that's when we see him take bullets and he gets shot, and we start to see his metal. Um, what's it? Metal um, exoskeleton coming through his skin as he's as the as the flesh is being shot off of him, and just again, uh, iconic action sequence where you've got you know you've got police after him, you've got the Terminator, either the T one thousand on its way there, and obviously it's the it's kind of the penultimate scene to the big finale of the film. But that whole sequence in Skynet is just awesome, absolutely awesome. And again, when they blow the building up, one of the great explosions in cinema history when that building goes up it looked absolutely spectacular yeah incidentally that gatling gun was the same gatling gun that was used in predator little little uh, fact for you there nick yeah it's um it, and and again it's it's of an era of films where they just tried things things didn't necessarily make sense you know like um the idea you know I was watching it, and obviously Arnold's—he's—he's he's walking forward and getting like shot, and his—I'm yeah. thinking to myself, don't—you don't need to do that, Arnold. Like, run or something. <laughs> You've got that option, um, because I think he was told um, not to kill anyone, so he—he he basically gets close enough to them where he could then um, kneecap them. <laughs> so he basically goes—he goes around kneecapping um, cops, which. Um, Felt, felt quite good. <laughs> That's the basis for a great joke earlier in the film before they rescue Sarah Connor because by this point um, we've we've learned that he has to obey John's commands and he tells him he's not allowed to kill anyone. So they pull up to the, the mental institute. In fact, let's just play the scene because I think it's so funny. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really well delivered. Why do we stop now? Now you gotta promise me you're not gonna kill anyone, right? Right. Swear... What? Just put up your hand and say, I swear I won't kill anyone. I swear I will not kill anyone. All right, let's go. Visiting hours is 10 to 4, Monday through Friday. What the hell are you doing? You son of a bitch! You shot me! He'll live. So, yeah, I think this is a, a great example of um, Arnold at his best, right? Um, King of the one-liners. Oh, yeah. And again, you know, the first Terminator, I'll be back. This one has the La Vista. It's just so many great lines. And, and like I said, this is the perfect role for Schwarzenegger. He is, he is tailor-made for this role. And I don't think anyone could ever do it anywhere nearly as well as he does. 
it's incredible that like literally he had a career I, I don't know that he would be able to have the successful career now that he had in, in the 90s, but at that time, he created something. You know, it it wasn't that the um, action hero looked like him. And then suddenly you had um, Slice Alone, and it was, it was really the era of the incredibly huge, muscle-bound action man, the um, almost... A, a reflection of you know america's kind of like greatness through a uh, is he austrian or german um austrian <laughs> yeah um but but schwarzenegger in many ways is is a kind of metaphor for america isn't he you know the man who came with like you know 20 dollars in his pocket and rose to being was he the mayor of of california governor i think Gov- governor of california yeah Governor, yeah, I, I guess mayor is just a different different term for it, isn't it? And 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 yeah, like um, but but he's an incredible character, and and I love watching him in, in many films. There's a, a watchability to him, you know, as you were saying before, star power. It's really difficult to put your your finger on why you want to see him, but every scene he he comes in, you you're wanting to hear what he says or um, see what he does. Well, that's it. You know, I don't think anyone is any. No one's going to claim that Arnold Schwarzenegger is the greatest actor of all time. And you know, in fact, you could probably make an argument he's he's not a very good actor at all. But he's got such presence, and he has, and he is a genuine, absolute movie star, isn't he? Like he's he's got incredible on screen presence. He both physically and in terms of his, you know, he has this natural charisma about him. And I actually think he's, I actually think his comedic work is underrated because. Um, Another good example of um, of a nineties action film, which is one that is not talked about anywhere near enough in my book, and it's also a James Cameron film. Have you seen True Lies? Yes, yeah. Again, so like such a huge, spectacular blockbuster, just joy fest. It's wonderful, and Arnie is brilliant in it, and he's hilarious. It's it's like a kind of action comedy, and it's like action comedy spy blockbuster movie, and it's absolutely brilliant. And again, he he's he's kind of got these these great one-liners in it but he delivers them brilliantly and i think he has such charisma natural charisma and i just think he is the he is the perfect representation of a 90s or 80s and 90s movie star because he had just has something that you cannot you can't teach it you just have it and and he that's all he needs because like you said you want to see what he does next yeah there's there's something quite ridiculous about him and it's almost these like one-liners just kind of like kind of pull you back to reality and kind of go we know this is ridiculous but we're having a bit of fun here you know it doesn't take itself too seriously in in any of his films you know total recall commando predator there's always these little kind of one-liners that just like go listen we're just having a bit of fun here let's go let's go for a ride well let's take let's take commando as an example there you just mentioned it 1985 so this was before this was after the first terminator before the second one that is a film which is, I think, 85 minutes long. And it's basically his daughter gets kidnapped and he kills an entire army on his own <laughs> to get her back. <laughs> I mean, it is ridiculous. Yeah. But is there any other actor, movie star, that you can imagine where you watch that film and go, yeah, I'd buy that? <laughs> there isn't. <laughs> yeah, there's something like because he's so superhuman, he kind of gets away with it exactly exactly he is he's superhuman he he can he he can do things or he can 
conceivably do things that no one else can do. If you stick, let's take any really good actor from today and you stick him in that film Commander, you go, that doesn't work. That's ridiculous. That'd never happen. Whereas you put Arnie in there and it and it works because it's Arnie, because of who he is and, and what he brings. And you just think, yeah, I know, you know, I, I buy that he literally killed 500 men on his own. <laughs> you, you buy no it. No one's taking him down. No one's taking him down. <laughs> yeah, um, but he, he. So yeah, he just has this. He has this star factor, which is so unique to him, and that's why. That another reason why this film Terminator Two is such a work of genius because you take him out of that film, it doesn't work. So, in terms of the film, obviously you you have the action, and that's great, and everything. What what's the underlying kind of story do you think what's what's um do, do you think there's a, a story within the story that like you can have take away now that you maybe see um the film a little bit differently than your eight-year-old self i mean yes and no i mean part of me doesn't want to because i still have the joy of my my eight nine-year-old self when i watch it i still have that like fuzzy feeling where you're just like in you're just taken away to a different place where you can enjoy it but you know i think there's something in there about you know absent fathers and like you said about family and in fact about the fact that this this terminator comes into the family unit and becomes the father that john never never had but and never knew he needed um and i think there's also something there's also a really interesting part of this film that it's a very it's a it's an action film that's very violent and it's got lots of kind of fighting and conflict but it's all based around the value of human life which i think is a really interesting idea you know you've got this these two terminators sent back from the future one to try and kill the man that starts up the human resistance and one to try and save him but but ultimately what the, the reason they're doing it is because you know as, as sarah connor says and, and arnie says happens in the future their whole purpose of Skynet is to essentially wipe out the humans because because, because they come, become self-sufficient. So this is about like survival of the human race. And it's, you know, that great line at the end, I start to look forward with new hope because if, if a machine, a Terminator, can learn the value of human life, maybe we can too. So I think there's a couple of really interesting ideas in there. But I, I honestly don't really get too bogged down in those because like I said, for me, this is just a really enjoyable experience at the movies and i just i still get that real sense of wonder and joy that i had when i was a kid when i still watched this film but there's there's definitely some some other stuff in there so in in terms of the film looking back now um obviously it's 30 years old um are there any parts of the film that you felt didn't actually work because i i do think it's really it's it's stated very nicely but are there any kind of um, bits of the, the film that maybe because um, we're, we're living in a different world now or or maybe just like stylistically that didn't didn't quite um, hit the mark or you kind of like had a bit of an awkward moment with? Do you know what? I, I really don't think there are. I think this might be a question for you because I I just for me, like I said, I think I think it's almost a perfect, perfect film for what it is. There are probably I mean. One thing you could look at is potentially the treatment of Sarah Connor while she's in the mental institution. I don't think that would necessarily be the same now as it as it was then because it's it's kind of so extreme. But I think it, it, you have to view it in the time that it was made and view it in the sense that that's all part of the story that they're trying to tell, the way they're kind of trying to build up her character and stuff. So no, for personally, for me, I think this holds up really, really well. 
Um, and I, there aren't really any bits of it that I, I don't enjoy or I don't think work. But I mean, obviously, like I said, this is talking about a film that I hold very dear to my heart. So like, because obviously you've watched it recently. Is there anything for you that, that you felt as though didn't work, this, you know, more recently? Yeah, I, I don't know um, that I can maybe talk talk on that too much. Um, I, I did, it's interesting that you mentioned about the, the Sarah Connor thing and the fact that of, of how she was trapped in the mental institution. But again, this is just like character building, isn't it? It's not it's not a commentary on that kind of system so much. It's um it's important to understand what her journey has been and um how she's transformed from the first film to the second film. Because, you know, for the in the first film, she's very much the damsel in dis- distress. What was really nice about this film was she's a badass in it. She is. She's an absolute badass. Yeah, she's as important as the Terminator, um, as Arnie's character, to protecting her son, as um, as as he is, obviously. And um, you know, one of the first, the first time we're introduced to her, we're introduced to to her in, in that kind of like it's like an overly used prison, almost like doing pull ups. And I I think like this. This is used in so many '90s films of like establishing shot of like this person is a badass. Like I always, um, when I saw it, I kind of thought about yeah. I think of Nick Cage in Con Air and when he's doing those upside down um, push-ups in into a headstand. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's, it establishes this person is a badass, and yet they don't use their kind of arms for any kind of like physical um, thing. Like she never uses. Her, her real strength really but it just kind of establishes that um she is not the the same sarah connor that she was in the first film and in many ways this is maybe a turning point in films and maybe a turning point that really didn't progress as fast as it should do where you had a girl who's a badass and because you had the aliens as well where sigourney weaver obviously plays this um this woman who originally was was cast as a man is that right in, in alien it was meant to be a man right well i th- i think that's the interesting thing about that film is i don't think they ever actually decided they, the character ripley was just written as ripley and it the gender wasn't specified and i believe it was um someone in casting just the the suggestion for sigourney weaver was made and they were like actually there this is kind of perfect and there's no reason that Ripley can't be a woman. So yeah, that, you know, I think you're right. Ripley is a is an is a great example of a really strong female like action hero, basically. And I think yes, I think you're right that the the whole point with Sarah Connor doing the pull ups in the mental institute and stuff and looking all kind of ripped and is like you said, it's to establish that she is not the same Sarah Connor we saw in the first Terminator film. She has changed. She is she's become hardened because of what she's been through. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're right. She's a really good example of a real, true female action hero. Yeah, and, and what I like about it is it establishes that she's not a victim. It might, you could say from a feminist perspective, uh, you know, um, these scenes where she's being abused uh, within the mental institute, you know, are awful, you know, and, and blah, 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 blah. But she is not a victim. And she, she I believe, I don't, sees herself as a victim. She is someone who's transformed herself into. It's it's kind of like in Breaking Bad, when he says, "I am the the one who knocks," you know. 
<laughs> um, the, the, I love that that transformation. So, so yeah, I I don't think there's anything in particular that stands out to me that that seems out of place. Maybe some of the um, special effects um, sequences aren't as good and like are exposed when you see it on a, a larger screen. But considering the time that it was done, incredible, and it's not it's not jarring. Yeah, that's fair. I also think as well, I just want to, just because I feel like I have to mention it at this point because it's such a great part of the film as well, is I just want to give a shout out to the score, which I think still holds up as a brilliant piece of score for the film by Brad Fiedel. Not not to be confused with Brad Friedel, the American goalkeeper. <laughs> but, um, but Brad 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 Fiedel, his his score for this is is iconic. And I, I cannot, I, I can never think about this film without hearing that score in my head and I think when it comes in at the start it is just yeah it's so good and I, and I think it I think again it, it just the tone of it the way it fits in the way it just just like seeps through the story oh, it's great I think it's a really really good piece of score um, and I, I just think that that interesting fact Nick go on one of one of the first cassettes that I owned because like it was back in the day where you, you'd kind of get like a tape player and it was just like wow you know what to do what to do with this um, and there was obviously a lot of tapes kicking around. My sister she was like ah oh, um, we've got these tons of tapes and um, you know do do you want any of them? One of them was Arnold Schwarzenegger's movies. So it was like basically the um, the music from like Total Recall, Terminator, Predator, all these. Are you serious? Yeah. And so one of my, my first tapes. Oh my God, please, please tell me you still have that. <laughs> Unfortunately not. Um, but like that, that score of like, that was the first song on, on the tape. And uh, yeah, so... It, interestingly, I, I think I knew the score before I knew the film. Oh, that's amazing! I'm so I'm so jealous. <laughs> Can you imagine me in my my bedroom as yeah. like a you know nine year old just like looking in the mirror, just like with the uh, the theme theme music on, <laughs> just staring, like hoping your eyes are going to go red. Like the yeah, with, with my little like little eight year old abs and just like flexing like on all the sort. <laughs> Just saying to yourself, hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um nothing's changed to be honest. I still do that. <laughs> it's just it's just on it's just on um you know a streaming service now. It's not on a cassette anymore. Oh that I'm so oh man, what a cassette that must have been. <laughs> no, I, I say, um Siri, can you play uh the Terminator 2's <laughs> soundtrack for me? <laughs> and yeah, just <laughs> Oh, amazing. Um, what a great story. I love it. <laughs> um, I can't believe I didn't know that about you. So I think it's about time to wrap the, this this episode up, Nick, and maybe introduce our next episode, um, which is going to be something a little bit different. So if, if it's all right, I'll probably introduce it. Yeah, please do. It's going to be something a little bit different um, as today's episode was. Um, we, we're wanting to expand the kind of things that we do, but keep it within the same structure. So the next episode we're going to be doing, we've got a guest on the show and it's going to be uh, Miku. Mi- Miku from Real Japanese. Um, so she she basically has an amazing YouTube following um, and Instagram following. And she does um, Japanese lessons for, for the language and both like that and culture. And 
we're going to be looking at the film Departures, which is a Japanese film. And she's going to come on and tell her what that film means to her and, and the lessons that it's, it's taught her. But what's going to be really interesting is, is it's not just going to be um, us learning um, from the film, but I, I think learning from, from uh, Mika as well about Japanese culture and in particular how they deal with death because Departures is a film about death and it's going to be really, really interesting. I'm really, really psyched to talk to her and learn more about the Japanese culture. And um, yeah, I don't know if you wanted to say anything about that, Nick. No, I, I, I just echo everything you said. I'm really excited about this because, um, you know, just from when uh, Miku came to the UK and uh, the two of you visited us down Devon, she's awesome. I had such a good time getting to know her. And, you know, just from speaking to her, learn so much about you know, it's a Japanese culture. She's so interesting. And, I, and this is a film I've not seen. So I'm really looking forward to watching it. Um, I've got it all ready, ready to go. So uh, I can give it a watch, really get into it. And I'm really excited to, well, to have a guest on as well, because it would be, like you said, this is a chance for us to learn something from someone else. And, you know, it would be great to have her on the podcast. Great to have a great to have a chance to speak to her about hopefully what will be a really interesting film. Because have you seen this film before? I have. I've seen it a few times and it is a great film. It's um, it's really interesting how the film um, balances um, quite deep cultural um, and heavy topics um, such as, as death and, um, and but also balances that with humour. So I'm really interested to, to hear your, your take on it, Nick, and um, what you take from the film. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, I, I can't say that I have a a huge wealth of knowledge around like Asian cinema, but I, you know, a lot of the, I've seen, you know, a few Japanese films and things like that. And I, I always find them, I always really enjoy them. And I think there's so much to get out of them culturally, because like you said, the way that, the way that things are dealt with, the way that subjects are dealt with, I think there's, you know, there's loads of films that deal with death, but it'll be really interesting to see how, how, how death is dealt with in this film. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I think it should be probably a really good, uh, conversation and like I said the fact that we've got Miku on as a guest as well will be really cool um, so yeah look forward to that one yeah so I guess the the only thing left to do is to thank everyone for listening and to ask people if they haven't already to rate the podcast and um, maybe even comment you know this is how we get it out to more people and and yeah until next time we'll see you on the next podcast yeah and I'd just like to say to you Andrew thank you for indulging me and let me talk about this film on this episode because I know this is one that's very personal to me and hopefully we'll get to do the same thing for you in the future so it's been it's been really fun to talk about this one I really enjoyed it actually and um, it, it does take you back to being a kind of y- younger version of yourself and and as you say like not going too deep with films just enjoying them for what they are yeah yeah, totally so yeah there's, I've really enjoyed it thank you very much and yeah as you said we will uh, well wish everyone well and take care and we will catch you on the next one Awesome. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.